Good afternoon. You're listening to KTOO. I'm Yvonne Cremery. A blocked water line cut off running water to hundreds of Kotzebue residents earlier this month. While the city of around 3,500 is trying to prevent service lines from freezing and to restore running water, the extra energy usage might pose another threat. As KOTZ's Desiree Hagen reports, the energy company that serves Kotzebue could run out of diesel fuel before a barge is able to replenish its supply. Kotzebue's water treatment plant heats the main lines for the city's water to prevent freeze-ups. But after what city officials called a perfect storm of problems, broken pipe welds, frigid Arctic temperatures, and heat pump failures, half of a main water line is frozen solid. Now, to thaw the frozen line, the city has to rely on a secondary heat source, what's known as ADHEAT, a byproduct from diesel generation at Kotzebue's power plant. We have always been a secondary uh, heat source uh, for keeping the uh, water mains unthawed. We are the primary source right now. Tom Atkinson is the general manager of Kotzebue Electric Association, or KEA, the energy cooperative that serves Kotzebue. Atkinson says now that the co-op is the main heating source for the frozen line, it's likely KEA will run out of diesel fuel before spring fuel barges can make it through the sea ice. So it's causing us to burn quite a bit more diesel, so we have to uh, run more generators and use less renewable energy uh, than we normally would, which is causing us to burn more diesel. Atkinson says between KEA's wind and solar farms, about 30 percent of the co-op's energy comes from renewables. Normally, we would just be running as much of our renewable energy as possible to burn as little diesel as possible and giving the city what we could uh, in recovered heat. Our system is set up so that every time Uh, we create more renewable energy, it ramps down generators. Uh, And if we do that, there's not enough uh, recovered heat to put in the system to keep the water mains from freezing this time of year. Because KEA's ad heat system relies entirely on diesel fuel generation, KEA is using more diesel than normal. And with average temperatures in February around zero degrees, Atkinson says people without running water may be burning more energy to keep their water and sewer lines from freezing. Within the month or, month or two, we should be able to have some figures on that. Uh, it would be assumed that they'll prob- they're probably going to be using more en- energy. If KEA runs out of diesel, Atkinson says there are other local sources for the fuel, but they will come at a much higher cost. KEA says that it has put out a request to the two vendors in town, Vitus and Crowley, for bids on fuel. Atkinson says if the fuel costs to fix the water situation are significant, then KEA will apply for disaster relief funds. In Kotzebue, I'm Desiree Hagan. Last week, the Iditarod disqualified former champion Brett Sass from this year's race following accusations that he sexually assaulted multiple women. The 1,000-mile race to Nome kicks off on Saturday. The vote by the Iditarod Trail Committee Board to bar the 44-year-old Interior Alaska dog musher came nearly four months after the race received a letter accusing Sass of sexual assault. It was also a week after Alaska Public Media, the Anchors Daily News, and ProPublica first asked the Iditarod about the allegations against Sass, who won the race in 2022. Working in collaboration, the newsrooms spoke to two women who say Sass sexually assaulted them within otherwise consensual sexual relationships that took place more than a decade ago. 
Sass has denied the allegations. Alaska Public Media reporter Casey Grove and Anchorage Daily News and ProPublica reporter Kyle Hopkins joined Alaska News Nightly host Lori Townsend to talk about their reporting. And listeners should know the following discussion includes descriptions of sexual violence. So there's uh, this two-page letter that went out in early November to officials with the top sled dog races in Alaska saying Sass had sexually assaulted multiple women over the course of a decade. And it asked that he be permanently banned from those races, which included the Kuskokwim 300, the Iditarod, and the Yukon Quest Alaska. And the letter was signed by Planned Parenthood Alliance Advocates Alaska Director Rose O'Hara Jolly, who was acting as an advocate for the women. And then later, the newsrooms separately obtained copies of the letter. And we should note that Sass has denied ever having non-consensual sex with anyone, and he has not been charged with a crime. O'Hara Jolly fully declined to comment when asked about the Planned Parenthood letter, and it did not contain any names of alleged victims. But the letter sent us on a path of investigating its claims. And as it turned out, one of the races, the Kuskokwim 300 out of Bethel, had already obtained information beyond what was contained in the November 2nd letter, according to a K-300 document that we were provided. Officials with that race quietly asked Sass to withdraw in December, which he did after asking race officials to reconsider. But another race, the Yukon Quest Alaska 300, made a different decision. It allowed Sass to stay in. A Yukon Quest Alaska board member resigned, saying the race had failed to investigate. That was Quest and Iditarod veteran Jody Bailey, who said, quote, I was told that this might be bad for Brent, and we needed to try and keep this quiet, end quote. Bailey said it was the race board president, Mark Weber, who told her that. Weber denied making those comments. Sass went on to win the Yukon Quest Alaska and took home $7,500. So what about the alleged victims that you actually talked to? That's right. We heard from two women separately who said Sass had sexually assaulted them. The newsrooms typically do not name alleged victims of sexual assault unless they choose to be named. One was a former dog handler who moved to Fairbanks as a young adult to work for Sass. The woman signed a sworn and notarized statement that included the specific sexual assault allegations. And two of her friends told the newsrooms they remembered her telling them years ago that Sass had non-consensual sex with her. The woman also presented a copy of a journal entry dated during the time she worked for Sass, saying he suddenly slapped her in the face while they were having sex, an assertion she also made in her recent sworn statement. And that woman said she didn't go to the police at the time because she was not thinking clearly, depended on Sass for shelter at his remote dog kennel, and she worked for him. She also said it took her time to realize what she says happened to her was wrong. And, and it's my understanding that you spoke with another accuser, Kyle? Right. So we spoke to a second woman who said she also had a sexual relationship with Sass, and she said he forced her to engage in sex acts in which she had not consented. She said, quote, I was actively saying stop, end quote. She provided us with three emails sent over a two year period telling friends and family that Sass had sexually assaulted her. In one of those emails dated 2016, she wrote that Sass had, quote, choked, hit, bit and otherwise caused me a lot of physical pain all without prior consent or any discussion on those activities, end quote. That email also said Sass had forced her multiple times to engage in a sex act. And that woman gave us a copy of a letter from the um, Interior Alaska Center for Nonviolent Living, stating that in 2015, she had been a client of that Fairbanks domestic violence shelter and had, quote, identified Brent Sass as her abuser. Now, it's not clear how much of the accounts that we gathered from the two women and other sources may have been in the Iditarod's possession, when it moved to disqualify Sass. So she went to a domestic violence shelter, but like the first woman, she didn't go to police. Did she say why? 
She did. Um, that relates to something we've heard from other people who say they are survivors of sexual assault. And in fact, it's mentioned in the Planned Parenthood letter. And that's that people in these situations feel it can be difficult to get justice. The second of Sass's accusers wrote uh, about this in her 2016 email. And I'm just going to read this to you. She wrote, why don't I take legal action? I've thought about it. Rape is extremely difficult to prove and our society is highly prone to victim shaming. I have little faith the result would be positive for me. I struggle with the fact that he's a quasi-public figure with a sunshiny, heroic reputation. I do want people to know the truth, but it's not a truth that people want to hear or are likely to accept. So those are her words in the email to her relative in 2016. She also wrote in that same email that Sass warned her that, quote, if I said anything to anyone in Fairbanks that was bad about him, he would ruin me, end quote. And from previous reporting, we have estimates that fewer than a third of sexual assault survivors report their allegations to police. And we know that in Alaska, for cases where the most serious charge is first degree sexual assault, only 11 percent of those actually end in a conviction on that charge. And what about Brent Sass? What did he say about all of this? Casey? Yeah, we talked to him in an interview just about a week ago, and he denied each allegation. Here's what he said about the allegations more broadly. None of that happened. I'll, I'll just, I'm going to flat out deny it. None of it happened. This is, these are personal attacks. People just don't want me in the sport anymore. Sass also told us that he never threatened anyone. If they felt that way, I would tell them, tell somebody. If they felt that way, I would be talking it out. I would never tell anyone to hide it or to not say anything. And to be clear, at that point, Sass had not been disqualified from the Iditarod. But he did tell us that the race had asked him to withdraw days earlier. Then, on Thursday, the Iditarod announced it had disqualified Sass for this year's race. That was Alaska Public Media reporter Casey Grove and Anchorage Daily News and ProPublica reporter Kyle Hopkins talking to Alaska News Nightly host Lori Townsend. This is KTOL.